This is the Social Distance Podcast, and today I'm talking to Kevin McManus, who's a public defender in the city of San Antonio in Texas, in the USA. Kevin's originally from Port of Ferry in the north of Ireland, and we connected through a mutual friend um, from Loch Eel, near where I come from, a fellow called Paul McGarry. So Kevin and I are chatting today. It's Friday the 26th in Melbourne, the 26th of June, 2020, I should say. And the USA is in the midst of a a COVID disaster, I guess. Um, Currently, there are 2,452,567 confirmed cases of COVID-19 and 122,550 deaths. In Bexar County, where Kevin's based, they've had 7,467 cases and 100 deaths so far. San Antonio is, it's, it's a spread out geographically city. It's a, it's a very, I'd say it's probably 70% Mexican-American, Mexican-American heritage, heritage, you know? I mean, it's, it originally was part of old Mexico, you know? So you've got the missions, you've got a, you've got a very big, um, on the west side and the south side, it's, it's very big Latino neighborhoods, um, Mexican-American and, and very, uh, so that there's definitely that there's definitely and then everything that comes with that part of the culture is very similar to me to, to Irish culture you know the emphasis on on family and and um and just being you know the drinking and stuff too probably you know and the, and the partying and the and the, la- the bit more laid back in the religion the Catholicism you know mm-hmm. so it it San Antonio has, has that unique flavor you know not unique but you know South it's South Texas is. Yeah, and then you have also the the Anglo element. You know, you have you have not a very big Irish community, very small Irish community. But you know, there's the there's a big German influence too. This part of Texas, you know, the hill country. Down yeah. New Bra- you've got towns like New Braunfels and Fredericksburg. I think some people up up in those areas still speak a wee bit of German too. You know, so you've got that influence. Um, it's 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 a nice. It's a great city. It's very laid back. You know. It's like, you know, you compare it to Austin, which is 90 miles up the road, and Austin's very hip and trendy and and very progressive, you know. Mm-hmm. San Antonio would be the sort of sleepy neighbor, you know. Mm-hmm. It's got a more small town kind of feel to it, you know. Um, a bit more conservative, you know. You've got, you've got a lot of military retirees, too, and you've got military bases here, too, you know. Yeah. So you've got that mix of um, a whole mix of different energies and opinions, you know. Aye. So it's you, a, it's an interesting place. It's very hot too, you know. That was one of my apprehensions about coming down here. You know, the summers are like, you know, <laughs> well, they're they're like hail sometimes. You know, you have we have hundreds hundred straight days where it's a hundred degrees or more. You know, right. So, but well, then you know the rest of the year it's nice. So so um, you were mentioning to me earlier that uh, you had a beach trip planned this weekend. Um, so what happened to your beach trip? Oh, we were at. Yeah, we were planning to go down to uh, Mustang Island down near Corpus Christi, mm-hmm. but um, and we went a few weeks ago. They have it; the state parks have it staggered, so you make a reservation, so they can limit the numbers going in, which is you know that's very. That, you know, I'm glad they did that, you know. So we went a few weeks ago, and it was very very few people there. We went with a few friends who we were sort of quarantined together with. You know, we knew they were taking precautions, and we were taking precautions, so we were comfortable being around them, but. Um, and we were planning on going again tomorrow, but um, just 
this I mean, I don't know if you're aware of it, the spike in in COVID nine case nineteen cases, that big exponential yep. growth finally happened here, you know? Like everybody well, not everybody, but you know, most people knew it was coming, you know. So it's hit it just hit and it just yeah, we gotta it would be irresponsible to head down to the beach, you know, regardless of how few people are there, you know. Right. So so you're in Bexar County, right? Yeah, well, yes. they pronounce it Bear County. Like oh, Bear, Bear County, but sorry. Yeah, yeah, but it's but it's spelled back, sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you're in Bear, Bear County then. So, uh -huh. so you've had, <clears throat> I, was, I was watching the, the Johns Hopkins uh, COVID tracker, and when I started this morning, um, I think the figure for your county was about 7,467 cases and 100 deaths. But the, the number of cases <clears throat> nationally over the course of two hours, as I watched, went up by... I don't know, a couple of thousand in the in the space of a couple yeah. of hours. So, so nationally, there's a huge surge going on. Um, I mean, how has there's a massive surge going on in Houston? I think right now too. You know. Yeah. So, so what has the state of Texas been like in terms of lockdown? Like, what's your experience been? Um, you know, it's a tale of two two jurisdictions. You know, you've got the city and county government here which have been responsible and rational and science-based and, and taking it seriously the way they should be. And then you've got, on the state level, you've got, uh, you know, Governor Abbott, and um, who's basically towing the Trump line yeah. and, and, you know, and all that entails, you know, or has been up until the last two days when the proverbial... Uh, Shit hit the fan. fan, you know? Uh -huh. Yeah. And now he's having to he's having to backtrack, uh, or at least step up and do something, you know. But he's but I mean, Dominic on the on the state level, governor has totally abdicated all responsibility. You know, it's criminal, it's criminal what he's done. You know, and I know, and it's the it just it seems to be a pattern with Republican governors. You know, they're just they're they're taking their cues from their their boss. You know, well, it's a loyalty uh, test. Mafioso at the top. That's yeah. Yeah, you know, and they're so far they've been showing their fealty to Mr. Trump, you know. But, right. but on, you know, on the city level, it's been Nelson Wolf, our county judge, and um, and our mayor um, have been very, very proactive about. And you know, we had a we basically went into lockdown mid right right around St. Patrick's Day. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So way back at the start. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, the courthouse shut down. I work at the courthouse. The courthouse shut down. Um, most businesses all shut down, ex you know, except for, you know, essential stuff. Um, people were wearing masks, you know. They had the, the city and, and the county mandated, basically, you know, they, 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 they did what they needed to do. They, they had a mask. They wanted to mandate masks, you know, until they were kind of overruled by the governor, you know, mm -hmm. and they've since found a way to work around that, you know, and, you know, I work for the county, the county, most, most employees works were, uh, kind of scrambled and, and very quickly got most people the ability to work from home, you know, got us laptops and stuff. And, um, so you were able to keep working. I personally was able to keep working. Like some of my colleagues were able to, you know, it slowed down. They were able to just work from home, or I, I think I, I don't think any county for 
employees were furloughed. I think everyone was able to mostly work from home. Yeah, mm-hmm. I actually I do I do hearings three days a week out at the out at the state hospital, and so um, so how are they? Those hearings are you know we have if someone's getting detained on a psychiatric hold, they have to have a hearing within seventy two hours. So you can't really reset those or get an adjournment. You know, mm-hmm. they're being held against their will and and possibly forcibly medicated. You know, so those hearings have to keep. They're, you know, they basically are essential, you know. I mean, the whole system, system would break down in the psych hospitals if we didn't keep doing those hearings. So our judge, uh, Oscar Kazin, was really good at getting us up and running on Zoom within like a week or two, you know. Right. And we're able, we're technically we're able to do our hearings. I could do them from where I'm talking to you right now, you know. Mm-hmm. But we actually, the four of us, the, two, the four attorneys and a few other um um, we drive out to the state hospital courtroom and do the hearings where we were doing them anyway. Just, you know, the, the clients don't come, the patients don't come, the doctors don't come. And, um, you know, we socially distance ourselves. There's only six of us. And we're, you know, we kind of trust that everyone's being careful in their personal lives about kind of self-quarantining and being very, uh, you know, yeah, careful about where they go. And so we do the hearings there three days a week now. Now, right. it might get to the point where we have the capability to just to stop doing that and do it totally from home, you know. And I don't, I can see that being possible in the next few weeks, you know, if this, if it gets really bad, you know, which it looks like it's going to. Yeah. <clears throat> um, and then in in the midst of the lockdown, then um, obviously the the other events in the U.S. start happening with the protest against the killing of George Floyd, and right, right. Um, subsequently, so. So what's your um, what's your involvement been um, on that side of things too? Because I I noticed that you were involved with lawyers for Black Lives Matter. Is that right? Yeah, we um that we basically about two or three weeks ago, I guess. Um, when George Floyd was murdered, about a, it's about a month ago, right? Almost exactly, probably. Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, the protests that took place that following weekend, and then during the week, you know, there was protests here every day and. There was a couple outside the courthouse and I had, um, you know, I worked for the county nine to five. So it's like, I can't really get involved in that during the workday for the optics of it and stuff. Um, but um, I basically, you know, you, you just feel you want it, you, you need to do something. And it's just like, I mean, I, I had been involved in New York in the late nineties during law school. And when I graduated, you know, there was a lot of, there was, Amadou Diallo, the I think he was a Haitian immigrant. He, you know, that was a big case. He was shot on his doorstep, and there was a lot of protests against that. So I was in a group called the National Lawyers Guild that would basically uh, we'd act as legal observers mm-hmm. at protests and kind of keep an eye on the keep an eye on the cops, basically, and make sure that they, you know, don't um, basically get out of line. And if they do, to document it and take down badge numbers and to take down details of arrestees, people who are arrested, and get in touch with their families and get them lawyers to try and bail them out, stuff like that. So, um, you know, that was coming, that was around the 2000s with a lot of the police brutality stuff. And then the Iraq war in 2003, there was a lot of protests yeah. coming up to that, obviously, that we, we helped out at. So, um, and then coming down here and having the kids and just being in Texas, you know, you sort of feel like you keep your head down a wee bit, you know, um, even though it's, it, the city, as I said, is a, it's a lot more, it's not as, it's a lot more progressive than you would think, you know, but there's still, there's still the, the yahoos and the, you know, that would, 
that would uh, wouldn't think too twice about pulling their gun on there if, if they had a chance, you know. So yeah, um, but yeah, so I'd you know I I haven't been involved in any activism stuff probably since he came down here, but you know, like a lot of people, this the George Floyd thing and the Breonna Taylor and on just it was a breaking point, you know. It's, mm-hmm. it's just the, the the straw that broke the camel's back for you know, especially for I mean I can't speak for the the black community, the African American community, but you know I know. It, it seems like that was a breaking point there, and for a lot of people who support our our black brothers and sisters, you know, it just was like, all right, it's like you just you want to get out there and you want to be in the streets, and then of course you're like the COVID thing's going on, so that was we didn't go on the Saturday or like you know, and then you just I was like, well, we'll go down, we'll just stay in the periphery, but. I have to tell you, Dominic, like the protests, I would say 99% of people were wearing masks, you know? Yeah. They're wearing masks. They're, they're trying to like socially this and no one's hugging each other and, you know, and you're outdoors, you know? Mm-hmm. So there's this whole kind of meme going around about, oh, the protesters are going to cause the spike in COVID-19, you know, and that's, that's, that's BS, you know? You know, I mean, <laughs> well, maybe a bit, but I mean, it's more likely going to be the people who want to go and get their, their hair cut and want to go to their clubs and, you know, like their karaoke nights or whatever. Like I was listening yeah. to that podcast. You did be a woman there. Oh yes. Um, yeah. But yeah. Um, I, well, so you know, so, so, that's, so what was what was the experience like of um of being there of being back in that situation where you're um where you're observing as a lawyer? Yeah. Well. Oh yeah. So get back to that. I go off. Be sure to pull me back on track because I have no, a no, tendency that's right. to ramble a week. No, ramble right. a wee bit. But um. I'm just curious because yeah, well, it's interesting that yeah. you sort of talk about having having kids now and being in a different place than you were, you know, 15 years ago. Right? Yeah, in terms yeah, of exactly. wanting to put yourself out there, I guess. Exactly. Yeah, but now my kids are getting. I guess you know the kids look. My daughter Maya's 16, coming on 17. Lucas almost 15. You know, so it's almost you get to that point where you're like, I don't know. And I, I know you you've kids yourself. Um, like. It's finally getting to the point where they're all not that you can you can let go of the reins a wee bit, right? Mm-hmm. And sort of get get a wee bit back to your find yourself again, you know. And mm-hmm. for you know, I guess it's a wee bit of the middle age, the mid age crisis too, you know, and the facing mortality and being like, all right, and and just it feels like it's in the air, Dominic. That it's just like, man, this is crunch time, you know. It's like. Like all the things that would previously have kept me apprehensive, you know, the mortgage and this and that. It's like the wheels are coming off, and it's like you got to step up, you know. Um, so anyway, I went I talk about the marches. I was there. I, my, I went with my friend Greg, and we looked like I, t- I turned around to him and said, "You know what? We look like we're two undercover cops here. We're like the two boys. You know, we're twice the age of anybody else. I mean, it was a very young crowd, you know, Aye. all in their early twenties, all in their and very." I was very impressed with them. I have to tell you, I was worried about them as I thought at the start. I was like, these young, naive kids, you know, and they're going to be easily, you know, provoked into doing something silly or they're just going to. But I, I, the more I've been at a few demonstrations, you know, and we've been in legal, legal observers, we have the shirts on us. And um, people ask us, you know, the, they'll ask us what we're doing there. Once we tell them, they're they're totally on board with it. And uh and, you know, I'll give you one example. We were at, a, yeah. there was a protest outside the the police precinct uh, the Tuesday after the big protest that weekend. No, the Wednesday, the Wednesday. And um, and people were, you know, started the pro- giving out water. Everyone was wearing masks. 
very, very, very well organized and, and astute to the fact that, you know, that they it would be very easy for them to do something that would make themselves look bad. And the media is going to seize on that and the cops are, you know, so mm-hmm. we there was at the very start, there was a we, there was a visual where people we knelt down for, I don't know, was it eight minutes and 46 seconds or in total silence, you know, maybe about a thousand people. And then as soon as that stopped, someone noticed that somebody had scrawled something on the wall of the police precinct. Not in paint, but in some kind of like marker or something, you know, or it must have been chalk or something. Because So everything stopped and the, the young 22-year-old 20, woman who was on the megaphone said, look, let's stop everything right now. Somebody, who did that? Did anyone see it? They tried to find who's seen it. The boy who did it had already scampered off. I mean, that's another story. It's probably, you know, like one of those, you know, provocateur or somebody trying yeah. to discredit the kids, you know. And so everyone stopped for five minutes and they got and they scrubbed that off the wall of the police precinct, you know, and they got it clean. And then things kept on, you know. Mm-hmm. Now, that's just an example. I was, you know, that's the, the I'm very impressed with the, the generation coming up, you know. They, mm. they, I mean, they've got more access to information than we had, you know. It's all there for them, you know, and they're educating themselves and they're astute and they know how to, they know, um, it's, they, it's they, pretty, they see the big picture, you know. It's pretty fascinating as well, though, like the moment that we're in as people of our generation, roughly you and me being the same generation who, who grew up in Northern Ireland, right? Right, right. Now, I grew up in Ballycastle, so like far away from anything that was going on and um, Probably about the same distance I was away from it too. On the other, aye, hand. aye, that's right, aye. Same aye. coast too. So, in in a sense, I felt like I missed that period of agitation. Right. <laughs> if you want, if you, you, you almost know. feel. Uh, oh, uh, what what age are you, Dominic? I'm I'm fifty two now. Fifty two. Yeah. So yeah. I'm I'm just I'm hitting forty nine next week. Yeah. Right. So we did. We came up, you know, in the seventies, the eighties. Aye, and so so it's just occurred to me as well because you mentioned there about the the awareness of mortality and and calling it a middle age crisis is a is a um doesn't seem cliche, to do, right? it doesn't really do do it justice because it, no it doesn't there's nothing it, wrong it with being better. aware of your uh, being aware of your own, your own mortality oh, and the finite right. nature of your own existence you know what i mean yep yeah um oh for sure i mean you gotta it's happening either way you gotta face it right aye aye so what about your what about your your wife is is she also a lawyer or what is Doris do? No, my wife Doris or Dora is her is, had her name is Dora, but she goes by Doris. She is a graphic designer. Right. So she, I met her in Philadelphia in 1995. She was up there to do her masters in graphic design at Tyler School of Art, and uh, and then she worked for Pushpin Design in New York for from like 98 until 2006. I don't know 2004, 2003 to four. And that was like a big famous designer there, uh, Seymour Quast. He did a lot of stuff in the 60s and 70s. So she got a lot of good experience there. And then really good designer. Like she does a lot of branding stuff for restaurants and nonprofits and stuff like that. And she's done a lot of stuff for restaurants and small businesses down here, which we also do a lot of barters, you know, Um, which is really nice. You know, we get barters for restaurants opening up and stuff. So she'll get paid partially in the barter. And then... um, she became a tenured professor of graphic design about two years ago at the University of Incarnate Word here in San Antonio. So primarily now she teaches teaches graphic design, mm-hmm. and then she does a wee bit of freelance here and there. Right. So yeah, we're, we're she's not a lawyer. Lucky, luckily for her, you know. 
you thinking that you're gonna? Are you, are you thinking that you're gonna stay in San Antonio? That's a big question. You know what? You know what I was doing this afternoon. It was uh, on the on the looking the at website, property looking prices in Northern Ireland. <laughs> looking at Irish passports first of all. Get the basics, you know, because I I've let mine lapse, and the kids are eligible for them, but we're all on U.S. passports at the minute, you know. Uh-huh. But uh, you know, I know it's a wee bit catastrophic thinking, but you know, it's just like Jesus. Um, I think to be honest, I think we're all thinking along those lines at some point, you know. What if the wheels totally come off here? You know, um, well, it's, it's. I I would love I would love to go back at some some point, Dominic. You know, not all you know. Apart from all the crisis and going on and stuff, I've always thought if I could find a way to get back there, or be at least retire there. You know, mm-hmm. I would definitely do it. Yeah. Um, do Do you like living in the states? I do. I think I do. No, I do. I mean, I've lived half more than half my life here. Oh. Came over here in in nineteen ninety three. I was what twenty two years old, and now I'm forty eight. So, yeah, sort of. You know, I've grew up here. You know, adult wise. You know, oh. and uh, I have to say, I do. You know, I mean, I love. I wish I could have the best of both worlds. I wish I could live in Ireland and the states. You know, I wish I could be a writer or some kind of teacher where I could at least get a few months a year over in Ireland. You know. But um, I do, you know, that, I mean, I have to say, I, I love living in the States. I love the country. And, you know, like, I don't know who said it. You have a lover's quarrel with it, right? You know, mm-hmm. I, I don't know who had that phrase about, your, you know, loving your country, but also being um, very disappointed with lots of it and wanting to make it better and wanting to, wanting to hold it to its best, better angels of its nature, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, and that, and the same with Texas, you know, like I came down to Texas. One of the reasons I didn't want to come here was the heat, but the other was, well, also being 5,000 miles away from home instead of 3,000, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but also I was, I was resistant. You know, I stereotyped Texas as being all a bunch of cowboys and rednecks and conser- very conservative, and, you know, and, and that was definitely that element of it, but it's definitely, you know, it's not all that, you know, and even, you know, what, what, it's a head trip for me being coming from such a, you know, I suppose a liberal left wing sort of background thinking, you know, to like, actually some of the nicest people I've met Dominic down here are conservatives, you know? Yeah. But on it, some it, level, you know, on seems, a personal level. <clears throat> personal level. Yeah. It, it's, the, um, I, I don't know if this reflects my, my own experience, which was that, that there's a kind of conservative in America that I, that it seems harder and harder to find. I mean, I guess the analogy would be like, um, do you remember folks, these old sort of paternalistic Tories there used to be like Alec Douglas Hume and these people who were kind of aristocratic and they were Tories, but they weren't, they weren't far right lunatics. Yeah. 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 That's, that's the thing. I mean, yeah. When I first came down here, I mean, there was a while, like, I, I you know, I I would argue politics. This was all before, I think it all just got the conservative movement, the Republican Party itself just got corrupted totally by Donald Trump, you know. But even before that, just that whole hatred of President Obama, you know, and the, mm-hmm. the Tea Party stuff and the conspiracy stuff. It was, a, I mean, it's a lot of stuff, you know, it's the rise of the, you know, the, the Internet and things like Breitbart and all that, you know, but the wheels have totally come off for, you know, the Republican party and the conservative, you know, there's still good people out there. And a lot of them 
are hopefully switching over and going to vote for Joe Biden in the in the in the presidential uh, race, you know. But I think a lot of people just fucking swallowed. Sorry, Nickers. Doesn't matter. They just swallowed swallowed the Kool Aid, you know. Just so, that, just that indoctrination on Fox News and right wing radio and stuff. And but you you've mentioned uh, you've mentioned the 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 phrase the wheels come off several times, right? Do you have yeah, a sense of this as being a moment where, um, well, let me let me put it this way. Sorry, I'll start that again. When I was there, one of the things that, that amazed me about being in the States was just that um, at times I just kind of thought, I'm amazed this whole thing actually manages to hold together. Hold together, exactly. You know, right. It's so huge and so, so multifaceted. I mean, yeah. so fucking multifaceted. It's, it's almost chaotic, yeah. Um, and that's what's brilliant about it. And it's also what's kind of completely insane about it. So, right, so right, what's right. so what's kind of different now, where where it feels like um, it's on the verge of something, um, uh, kind of uh, what like like a paradigm shift again, like the Civil right, War, right. you know, like this kind of moment of yeah. intense civil I, you know, rupture. And, and Dominic, I don't think it's just the United States, you know, if we're honest. I mean, it's, 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 I, I think probably, you know, like a lot of things, we're on the cutting edge of it, right? Mm-hmm. Just because, you know, we've been in the driving seat since the end of the Second World War, you know, we inherited that mantle um, for better and for worse, you know. Um, but it, it's, it, you know, it's definitely more pronounced here, right? It's definitely more, um, accelerated you know and i think it's it just feels to me and maybe i'm just you know i don't know i mean stressed out and whatever you know but i've talked to a lot of people and either you know some people are in denial about it um just feels like everything's exponentially you know snowballing right you know you've had the the covid19 thing and then things starting to reopen up and now it's going to be twice as bad and and you know the whole uh police brutality stuff come to light and not just that that was just the opening for you know the whole necessary addressing of, of you know what what they call you know america's original sin mm-hmm. you know of white supremacy you know yeah. i mean that is and you know that that festering wound that's been festering for 400 years is is just totally gone septic you know what makes the difference though like now with the murder of George Floyd. I, I mean, I know there's been years of work leading up to this, but it's, it's also like, why now? What, why is this the moment where people like yourself, people not from communities of color, have suddenly right. kind of gone, okay, we get I, it, this is fucked. And yeah, has been. I think, I, I, think, I think the COVID crisis is definitely part of that. On some level, you know, we've been... I mean, I was talking to my wife about that earlier today. Um, you know, like, why are people so more open? You know, people, I mean, one of the, the silver linings to all this thing is, like, people have, be, even, you know, those of us who are still getting into work, my work has slowed down a bit, you know. We've had time to slow down, you know. And, and this, you know, there's be, there's bad aspects of that, of the whole socialize, or socialize isolation and, and everything. But, you know, there's the silver lining, you know, people have time to think and, 
not be so busy and harried with their lives, making plans and running around like headless chickens, you know? Mm-hmm. And so I think people's eyes, you know, and, and also even before, you know, even before George, the, the murder of George Floyd, I mean, people's eyes were open just to how, you know, especially, you know, the, the, the disparity between the red states and the blue states, you know, and how the whole issue was politicized and how the the red state governors, you know, the, the Republicans were basically making this into some Malthusian survival of the fittest thing, you know, it's like, oh, you know, if, the, if a few old people have to die to keep the econ- the wheels of the economy turning, then, you know, let's oil, oil the wheels of Moloch, you know, mm-hmm. and versus, you know, and that's for people with eyes to see, I mean, that stuff is, you know, obvious what they were doing and and then just seeing it on your day-to-day you know essential workers you know store workers grocery store workers restaurant workers those of those that were still able to keep their jobs you know with the to-go food and stuff bus drivers firemen police officers um that's all blue-collar workers you know mm-hmm. you know and so i think a large a large segment of you know, there's always, there's always, and I, because I had this same dynamic myself. There's always a large segment of, of middle class white people, um, which you know, I, that's, I guess that's where I am demographically. You know, I always grew up thinking of myself working class. You know, um, I'm the first one in my family to go to university and stuff. But you know, I'm a professional and I'm, I'm, I'm in that demographic. You know, um, you know, people like in that demographic previously might have just kept their heads down and said, no, I'm not going to rock the boat. You know, I don't want to I want to go to this protest because I work at the courthouse and the sheriffs will see me there and they'll think badly of me, you know, and it might threaten my chances of getting a promotion if my boss finds out. And I think after what's been going on and just seeing how how badly handled the, this public health crisis is and the possibility for things to get much worse, you know, in, in terms of people getting, you know, the eviction protections going away and, and possible food shortages and who knows what, you know, there's no social safety net here and there's no real sense of on that side of the political spectrum of, of looking out for each other, you know? Yeah. And so you read, you see that and you're just like, all right, it's, I don't want to get all like apocalyptic or anything, you know, that's not what I'm saying, you know, who, you know, who knows, but it definitely does feel like, you know, I talk to my kids and I'm like, you know, there's these paradigm shifts or changes, you know, the industrial revolution, you know, the 1960s and seventies and stuff, but this is, and I think a big other part of it, Dominic is the climate crisis, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just in your face, you know, you feel that down here. You know the heat, the storms. You know you, you know, and whatever. You know, I talk to my parents at home, and they're having, you know, crazy weather. And a balmy, a balmy spring. You know, a balmy spring. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But yeah, that, the COVID, the, the COVID sort of lockdown experience did strike me as um, this moment of pause in in the great sort of grinding capitalist machine. I kind of thought like this is the kind of scale of change that is going to happen with climate change, except it's happening in a very cons- compressed period of time. You know, it happened. Right, then. right. Everything stopped in a month. It was like, boom. Yeah. I mean, the, everywhere. Yeah. And there's there's the silver lining, right? It showed us that if we have to do something, we'll do it. We, it's not like, oh, we can't afford to do that, right? If you have to do it, we'll turn it around. We'll turn the ship around, you know? Right. So, so what's you stopping know? people from 
holding on to that insight, you know, or not getting that insight, I guess. I mean, nobody like, I mean, there's no sign here of uh, the federal government having learned anything positive from it, apart from the fact of, I guess they've learned how easily they can control people and how quickly they can do what they want. <laughs> Are you talking about the US federal government? No, no, I'm talking about the federal government in, in Australia. Oh, in Australia, you know, in Australia, right? Who are who are a right wing government? Um, yeah, I know. So, I know. so I yeah, know. I, I, but you know, and I think it. Um, I think Dominic, that you know, part of that is the the way the right wing is getting further and further right and more more reactionary and more entrenched is almost if you try to look at it from a positive perspective, which I I have to force myself to do, otherwise I'd go nuts, you know. Um, it's almost a sign of like you know. All right, that's a small, maybe it's 30% of the population, right? But one thing that that's doing, and one thing that Donald Trump is doing is almost, it's like unveiled things, right? There's no pretense anymore of like, you know, how maybe, a, you know, a, a neoliberal Clinton-style Democrat would have been able to keep the system moving on and mm -hmm. with all its inequities and that whole. Now it's just, he's almost pulled back the, the curtain and it's like, Jesus Christ, that's a horror show. You know, that's really how this thing works, you know? And so, yeah, you've got that 30% who are getting more reactionary and more desperate. But that's almost maybe a sign of them knowing somehow that, you know, the other 70% are waking up, you know. The, so game, is, there the is, game is up, yeah. The game is up, and that's always a dangerous time, right? There's always, you know, the a cornered animal is going to lash out, you know. But, I mean, and hopefully not too much damage is done. Hopefully, we, you know, if we get through this, you have to think, you know, there's definitely – there's definitely there's definitely inspiration and hope you know look at your woman um uh, alexandria cortez yeah. the congresswoman from the yeah. from the bronx mm -hmm. she just got re-elected there the other night by a landslide you know yeah and um, um and several other progressive years. candidates yeah yeah several others, one, three you know? in the primaries yeah you know so people people are waking up and people are just realizing it's you know that whole uh, you know i'm always good at Half remember things, Dominic. You know, when I don't know what the essay was, maybe it's a letter from Birmingham Jail with Martin Luther King, where he talks about the white moderates and gradualism, and yeah. that, you know, it's past time for that, you know? Mm -hmm. And and it was past time for that then. It's definitely past time for that now. But the difference is, you know, it's not just the, the it's, it's a wider segment of the population is seeing that, you know? And I think even the people who are reacting against that, the reactionaries, you know, and the, and the, the radical right, and even the, you know, the neo-Nazis and those boys, you know, they're seeing it too. That's, and they're, and, you know, so yeah, it's getting polarized more, but, you know, there's definitely a, there's a silver lining to it too, hopefully. There's, there's hopefully, no, you know? there is no, there is no, um, there's no regaining of power without somebody else having to let go of it. And right. that doesn't right. happen easily, you know? You know, and, and you know, saying that, that just brings me back to what you, you touched on earlier. You know, growing up in the North in the 70s and 80s, and, you know, that's the more... I, I grew up in that, Dominic, you know, and I haven't really reflected on it maybe till the last few years, you know? And... um yeah, I think I realized I just buried a lot of it, you know, and, you know, you, in your early 20s, you're drinking, well, speak for myself, I was drinking a lot and just trying to, and, you know, over here, just trying to forget about all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But reflecting on it, you know, the one thing, I mean, number one is like, like I grew up in Port Ferry, 
it was 30 miles south of Belfast, but it could have been 3,000 miles away. We were luckily not very, not directly touched by the troubles, you know. There was maybe one or two bombs in the early 70s and the Harding, Harding Club was burnt once. But, you know, relative to, say, Belfast or Derry or, you know, parts of Tyrone, we were untouched, right? So yeah. I, I kind of grew up with a sense of guilt almost, you know, feeling guilty of escaping that, you know, and and feeling and then minimizing it. You know, when I was over here, going, oh, that was not, it was really wasn't much. And I grew up in a wee quiet place, but, but looking back on it now, really, you know, even though it doesn't hit you, maybe, thank God for me, you know, directly, directly. But there's family, friends, and, and you know, people I've known who've been, you know, have suffered as directly from the troubles. But even indirectly, you're traumatized growing up in that environment. You know, every day hearing stuff in the news, like I had hurling stick under my bed ready for somebody to kick in the front door when I was like seven years old, you know, even though it wasn't, didn't happen in Port of Ferry, but you know, I was seven, as a seven year old, I mm-hmm. didn't know that wasn't going to happen. So, you know, you talk about it, the people over here now, and the one, the one thing I noticed when I came over here was like, you know what, people can put a political bumper sticker in their car and it's not going to, they're not going to get shot or get a brick through their window. You know, oh, a yeah. Democrats not going to come around and slash their tires, you know, the way the similar thing would have happened back home, you know, mm-hmm. and and like what you said, like I was amazed at how it all held together, you know. And I remember thinking, how are, how you know, why are people not out riot in the streets the way they are back home? We're back home, you know. But they were, but there is a you know the system was able to hold together, and there is a constitution here, and there is you know there's a great, you know, despite how bad things are going right now, I mean. The, the potential of this country and the energy of this country is is there, you know, and there's a, the constitution is, get, you know, growing up somewhere where you could be searched by the army and have your door kicked in with for no reason, you know, you know, at least here up until at least recently, you know, you've got the Fourth Amendment and your First Amendment and you know, mm-hmm. right to right to peacefully petition the government on the streets and the right to be free from unlawful searches and seizures, you know, yeah. and that's definitely something that's worth fighting for you know yeah oh i heard a really interesting thing on i don't know if you listened to on the media on wnyc um they had a great discussion with a a guy they were talking basically about tom cotton when he was allowed to put an opinion piece in the new york times opinion page about basically that the the air force in the u.s should be used to uh, frighten protesters or bomb protesters and so they had this discussion about what's valid opinion and what isn't valid opinion in a newspaper like that. But the overarching kind of context of the discussion seemed to me to be the best explanation of where America is at at the minute, which is that in the post-war, I'm going to butcher this, but I'll give it a go. In the post-war years, there was a tacit agreement on both sides that here's our bedrock, right? We sort of all roughly agree on these principles. And then everything else that we argue about sort of sits over the top of that, right? Right. And that essentially one side has abandoned the platform that everything else was based on. And that's the the side on the right, the Republican side. The Republican Party has been going that way since, probably since Reagan, but definitely since George W. Bush. I mean, if you you, you were a lawyer there, you remember like the, the sense of outrage that I felt when he was president, was every bit as oh great, my god, yeah, every bit as great as yeah, with John Ashcroft, John Ashcroft, and you, Michael, yeah. was it, um, and the firing of attorneys for um, yeah, you thought like, that I mean, all that stuff. I mean, there was it was endless, right? 
Let's see. And now people are nostalgic for the good old days, eh? Yeah. So I mean, there's a fucking fiction that you can't <laughs> let you can't let pass. Don't let anybody get overly fond of George W. Bush. Oh, I, mean, oh, I know. Just, I know. You know. But the no, point being, oh, he's painting his pictures and I know he's painting the pictures and, stuff, and he's but... a kind of avuncular statesman now. You yeah. Know? Fuck. Yeah, no. No, so, he's still a war criminal. I mean, legally, and he is. You know. Um, but the point being that the point being that the rules have changed fundamentally in a way that won't be redressed unless there's something, some massive, not pain-free adjustment, right? Yeah, the Republican Party have, have sold, you know, they've let Trump, I mean, when Trump came in, you know, you had the, you know, I mean, before he was elected, you had the, the never Trump people, you know, and you had, I mean, I go on the National Review and read articles there by some of the, you know, the never Trump and, yeah. and rational conservatives, you know, who I could disagree with, but, you know, realize they're arguing in good faith, right? You know, yeah. you know like we talked about earlier, they were, you know, all right. There, and there are Republicans out there like that still, but, you know, they have to keep their heads down now because it's almost like there's a mafia boss and a mafioso running their party, you know? I don't know. I, I just, I'm just hopeful. I, I would actually, as left-wing as I am, I would like to see, part of me at least, would like to see almost like, you know, Joe Biden um, pick a flipping traditional Republican, you know, somebody... Uh, as his running mate, running mate, or at least make some kind of gesture to say I'm going to appoint a, a few people to his cabinet, you know, mm -hmm. just for the sake of trying to pull the country back together, you know, because there are, you know, you're talking the government of national unity there, there, you know, what's that? So you're talking the government of national unity. <laughs> yeah, almost, you know, it's almost yeah. that bad, Dominic, you know. Yeah. It's almost like, you know, for the sake of, as much as I would like to see the likes of Bernie Sanders and um, Alexander Cortez and that line of progressive Democrats running the show, it wouldn't work, you know, because there's so much bitterness and so much division in the country right now, right? I mean, it scares me. It scares me. It's almost like, you know, I remember thinking when I was growing up as a kid and talking to my dad, you know, about, oh, it would be great once we could get a United Ireland, you know, and they can get over 50% demographically, you know, the uh -huh. dad was going, well, just, it'll just switch to the other foot, you know. you got to find a way to bring the unionists along if you're going to have a united Ireland. Otherwise, there's going to be another, you know, they're going to be in rebellion against the state, you know. And I kind of feel that it's almost that way here, you know. It's like... When you uh, say it scares you, what do you mean? What, what are you scared of? I'm scared of, like, you know, seriously, I'm scared of, like, a civil war. You know, and maybe that's my baggage from back home informing my, you know, how I feel too much, you know. But having seen, you know, how it was able to happen back home, you know, and how how hard it is to put that toothpaste back in the tube once it's out, you know. Like how quick violence spreads and just gets, you know, out of control and it's very hard to put the lid back on it. Um, I'm worried that that could happen here, Dominic, especially given how a wash in... In guns, the place is, you know. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's, I, and you know, and Trump is basically talk. Trump's talking the way you know who was talking in the early seventies. I mean, I say you, you know who, who jokingly, my grandmother, God rest <laughs> her soul, would not say the man's name. Right. She would. She would not. You know, we're talking about Big Ian, right? Aye, Ian Paisley aye, aye. would not mention him by name. You know, he was the devil incarnate, and he, he pricked, 
pretty much was in a way, you know. And so Trump is his rhetoric is is not that far off, you know. And the same stuff was, you know, they were spouting over the radio in Rwanda, you know. I mean, not it's not there yet, but it's it's that it's on that line of thinking, you know, demonization of people, whipping up hatreds and alienating people from each other, you know. You know, I'm I'm afraid that even if even if he does lose the election, he's not going to leave the White House, or he's going to, you know. I mean, maybe that's maybe I'm being a wee bit paranoid, you know. But when you say, "What am I afraid of?" It's stuff like that, or even just, you know, God forbid, not even a full, even if it's not a full scale civil war, there's enough guns in the hands of angry and some mentally ill people to cause a lot of damage, you know. Yeah, yeah. I I, I wonder. You know, is the labeling of something a civil war like when does that when does that happen? Because, you know, you what would you call it now? It's it's not a civil war right. in the sense of, but but possibly from the perspective of, um, someone who has grown up a person of color, they may say, well, you know, we've been subject to one sided violence from the state since the day yeah. I was born, right? So yeah. You know, and for generations before, and absolutely, yeah. So, yeah, um, and that those chickens are coming home to roost. You know, as Malcolm X said. Um, thank you for taking the time to chat like this. Oh no problem. It's great talking to you, Dominic.